Welcome everyone to our third podcast. This one is very special for multiple reasons. Our first guest from the outside of the AAALC, we've got a guest from the Idea Council, and we've got guests from the Asian Network. Um, and today, exactly, we got um, Alice Chan from the Asian Network. Hi, uh, Alice Chan. I am the VP of Sales and Marketing for the Own Brands team. Our business unit resides out of Pleasanton, California, but I am working remote out of Dallas, Texas. I am the Asian Network ARG leader, and I'm just really excited to be here with everyone. I've been with the company for a little over a year now, so uh, really excited and have been in the industry CPG retail side for about uh, 17 and a half, almost 18 years. Well, actually, Paul, you're a part of that Asian network as well. Paul Bancroft Turner, Corporate Communications, has been with the company, I think it's eight years uh, at the end of this month. And we've got Derek Wu from the Asian network. I'm Derek Wu, and I'm the director of SEO for Albertsons. Um, I just joined because um, I, I had overheard Alice talking about uh, the podcast, and I got rather excited and uh, volunteered to help out with it wherever I can. And I'm I'm looking forward to it, and very very thankful uh, that that you uh, that you have us with you today. And coming from the ideal Idea Council, Jeffrey Hamper. Hey, Jeff Hamper. I'm a member of the Idea Council here in the Boise office, and my full time job is in pharmacy HR. And Mickey Virtue. Hey, Mickey Virtue. I'm over in the Intermountain Division, um, heading up HR, part of the Idea Council. Um, I've only been with Albertsons for um, still not a year. My year is um, April 20th, so I'm almost at a year. <laughs> but great to meet everybody. Um, I'm a, also a part of the Idea Council as well, so I guess that's that makes three and three. Um, so. What makes this special is not only do we have our first visitors, but uh, the topic that we're going to talk about uh, is very serious and um, it, it reflects back to what happened, uh, what's been happening uh, about the consciousness of, of what's going on in our society today. Thank you for everybody for joining, for you guys joining. And um, I just want to ask the first question, um, how are each of you feeling during this time of unrest and uneasiness? Yeah, thank you so much. Well, first, I just appreciate being here today with everybody. And I think I have a mixture of emotions and feelings. And I've probably gone on a roller coaster like many uh, for for if you are in that Asian community and you have family or friends that are Asian that are close to you. In this last year, I have felt sadness. I've felt, felt pain. I felt a lot of anger. I have felt why do I need to justify why um, this person is shooting and that it's actually a race issue? Um, it's not something different that you're trying to publicize it as. I've felt a little fear, like fear of my parents, fear of myself. Are they going to be okay? Could that person that got attacked be my mom, be my dad, be my sister? How am I going to support them? Because I actually don't live with my parents. My parents are in the Bay Area and in an area where the cases are rising over 150% higher in our metro cities, even though hate crimes are down, the Asian community since COVID has started, has just been rampant, especially in those areas where there are large Asian populations. And my parents still want to go out. My sisters still want to go out. So at first, I was afraid of COVID and them catching it. Now I'm afraid of them getting COVID and getting attacked and nobody stopping or doing anything about it. So I tell you, I'm a flood of emotions. Recently, I have been in 
a state of hope and inspiration because I've been able to have a lot more candid and transparent conversations within the company in small fireside chats. And it's just been inspiring to hear people's stories and give them a platform where they can speak. So I'm just so excited things like this can continue to help people understand how deep, deeply rooted this racism is, even if we don't speak about it as an Asian community, it really is there. And until we face the fact that it exists, it, it's hard to, to do anything about it. So I, I love the fact that you guys are here today with us or and inviting us to join in on this pod session. But I, I think you're going to hear we all have a bunch of emotions swirling around and it's probably not just one straight answer. I would echo a lot of what Alice says. It's a flood of emotions. There's good days and bad days. Um, I'd be lying if I didn't say that I felt the stairs and the up and down the elevator eyes. I worry about my mom because she's lived in um, the community of Boise, Idaho for so long that I think that she thinks everything's fine until it's not. Um, so I do worry a lot. Um, it's been very interesting um, being in a mixed household, hearing two sides of the argument, um, which we'll get into a little bit later, but it's it's certainly up and down. I would have to agree with everyone. I don't I don't want to <laughs> jump on the bandwagon, but you know, a flood of emotions, and you know, almost don't know how to feel. Um, you know, I joined the Idea Council to support the African American community. You know, I wanted to be part of the solution there. Um, so I don't think I was ready to talk about you know, how Asians are feeling, because, you know, I think I felt a little bit guilty that, you know, um, yeah, there is some racism to me, but I, I don't feel like if I get pulled over by the police, I'm going to get shot. You know, I think I think we felt guilty that it wasn't other people had it worse. Um, so, you know, that's kind of why I wanted to be an ally to the African-American community and get involved in IDEA. So I don't think I was ready for it to come so close to home to, to the Asian community. But um, you know, I, I think it's good that we're talking about this and we can finally open up and share our feelings and people want to listen. Um, so there are some benefits that come out of it. But, you know, just like Alice and Mickey said, I'm worried about my mom. You know, my parents live in Chicago. So, you know, we've been going to Chinatown for, you know, every month since I can remember. And they still want to go to Chinatown, and just walk around like nothing's happening. But I don't know. Somebody could just come and punch her in the face, you know, so um, and she doesn't get that, <laughs> you know. So I am worried about her. Um, I'm worried about their safety. Um, you know, I'm not as worried about myself, you know, but, you know, maybe I should be, I don't know. Um, but, you know, I think the good, like I mentioned before, the good that's come out of this is um, we can tell our stories and people, you know, want to listen. Um, and it's about time. I think, I think it's, there's always a positive that can come out of it. Okay, well, I'm you know very much like Alice and uh, Jeffrey and Mickey have shared. It's a time where, especially what Jeffrey said, in, in, in that I don't quite know how to feel. I know I feel more worried than I did at any time in my my you know, previous forty three years of living. You know, and, and as an Asian, I've I've always said we we experience what I call garden variety racism, which you know it consists of slurs or just people making snide remarks, but. I have never feared actively uh, for my life or for my safety or for my well-being. And to me, more recently and over the summer, I was actually followed out of a store uh, by four individuals who were complaining about us spreading the uh, Kung wow. flu uh, all over wow. the country. And that was 
I'll tell you what, it took me from a much different place because like Jeff, I, I, I think Asian people, we, we have a tendency to look at what happens uh, to the African-American community and we go, well, they have it worse. Like police wouldn't mess with us and we don't feel we don't feel the same fear, I think, on on a lot of the things. And so for me, it put me in a place where where the stories we hear about what happens to your community became all too real to us. And you can hear about these stories and hear about them and hear about them and read them and see them. And you can feel on the inside the outrage. But I'll tell you what, the the actual legitimate fear of being confronted with really worrying about your life, there there's nothing you can read. There's nothing you can you can watch on TV that matches that internal experience, the the trauma that you feel on the inside. So it it took me to a different place of empathizing and and understanding more uh, how how the other half have had to live. If that makes sense, um, it, it just it became more no. real. It does because like you're talking about going outside, like we see on the news different situations where police officers shoot uh, an armed, unarmed black person or we hear about it. And then for you, I hear, wait, I hear you saying, Derek, is, oh, that's just third person. I see it. Doesn't affect me. But once you see some of those same similar images, uh, not the same, but similar, it's changed your perspective quite a bit. Oh, uh, yeah, but more in a sense that well, I guess what I'm saying is, is you can never fully feel it. Like, like when I would watch even all the way back to the, to the Rodney King trial or the LA riots, I would feel the outrage, you know, for the population, but the fear of, of what they experience, you know, and, and I guess I just got one taste of, of actually worrying about being lynched. Yeah. And the, the, the internal emotions, the, 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 there's nothing you can read and nothing you can feel, no matter how much you empathize with what's happening to someone until it really happens to you. And that's the difference between, I guess, having the information and actually feeling, like having the referent knowledge of what that kind of oppression and what that kind of threat feels like. Uh, there, there was something internal that, that just changed that you can't mimic simply by having feelings about a matter or caring. Uh, so to me, it was just the, the fear was all too real. And, and that gripped me in a much, much different way. It was sobering. And I would have to echo on top of Derek really quickly and just say, I think there is this unique aspect of when it is your race, right? When, it, when you see yeah. your people, I, I, I hate to say it like that, but you your experiences shape who you are as a human being, the values you have. And your immediate draw is, is that my mom? Is that mm -hmm. my dad? Is that me, right? When you see somebody that's getting kicked on the ground and somebody just closes the door and does nothing to save you, what if that's my mom? Like, I can't mm -hmm. imagine and it just, it hits me harder. So not to say that it doesn't hit me hard as well when I see Floyd on the ground being suffocated, but if that's somebody that's Asian, my brain immediately, yeah. because of my experiences in, in my upbringing, if that was an Asian person, the amount of hatred, pain, anger, fear is amplified, right? Because yeah. you associate it with something that's dear and close to you because you, you live that that path every day. So mm -hmm. I get it when Derek says it. I get what it's like to be a female, walk outside and be in the dark 
or not go outside in big cities in the dark because I could be targeted. So that is one aspect. But now I'm also thinking, can my race be a piece of it when in historically it hasn't been as much of an issue? And again, I say this to a lot of people. It's not about comparison of, oh, you got discriminated more in life than I got discriminated. You felt more pain over the years than I have felt because there is that guilt factor of can I can I really truly know or should I really even be saying anything because of the fact that I haven't been I've had it better than someone else. But the reality is racism and discrimination wrong bad right. not okay no matter the situation no matter the gender the race the lifestyle and these are the times when we have to rally and come together and say if you don't speak up against it as an african-american or you don't speak up against it as an asian that's being attacked upon an african-american or a, a black person then then that silence is permissibility and you're allowing it to continue to to get yeah, I Definitely. think, uh, Alice, something that you said there, and Derek, it was powerful because when, you know, 20, the crazier that was 2020 happened. Um, so I'm, I'm from the Caribbean, so I'm not technically African-American and neither African nor American. So I'm just, I'm black, whatever you want to call it. But my wife is African-American, so her experience with racism is totally different from my experience. And I did not have a lot of the experiences that she had because I only came here 10 years ago. And immediately I saw like how I was treated differently and I started to learn and understand that. So fast forward to 2020, we had, we had just had Kingsley in 2019. So I was a new father. And then seeing the video of George Floyd, it hit me differently than videos I had seen before because I learned that he was not just a, a, a black man, but he was also a father. And that hit me differently because I was like, what if that was me that went to the store and I didn't come home to my wife or my son and they had no idea what happened until I showed up on the news. So it hit me differently. So like you guys are talking about it, even if we're, it, even if the people look like us, there are certain situations where it definitely triggers something and it hits differently. And then moving forward to like this year when, you know, the Asian hate and all the stuff was, it seemed to be like, I know this is nothing new, but it seemed like all of a sudden more and more were coming out because of COVID. And then I saw like, you know, people in the black community speaking up about it and other people in the black community saying, why are we speaking up about it? This They haven't spoken up about the hatred towards us. And I was like, wait a minute. Yep. Hatred is hatred. We right. can't like pick and choose who mm -hmm. is like, we can't do that. If we're divided against this issue, the racism wins already. We got to be like, okay, all hate is wrong. Let's just come together solid and say all hate is wrong. Let's fight against this and move forward. So thank you guys for sharing, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Definitely. <laughs> I would have to agree with that. Um, you know, I think like backtrack to last year when COVID was starting around January. Um, that's when it before March when everything shut down, but that's when I was hearing a lot of the jokes and, you know, people were asking me if I had COVID, um, which of course I didn't, you know, but, you know, in, in the office and friends, you know, like there's a joke about that. Oh, you have family in Hong Kong. So do you have COVID? Um, but I remember I was, I was still traveling in, in January ish and, basically the only people in the airport who wore masks were Asians. 
and you could tell just people like just staring at them. And I knew like this was different. Something's coming. You know, this is different kind of racism than before. Because before it was jokes. And, you know, if you think about like movies where like the comic relief. So it was kind of like poking fun at, up, at us versus being actually racist. Um, but I, I, I felt this one was different. So I think when people think that we didn't speak up before and we didn't have this movement until Black Lives Matter happened, um, you know, I, I think it was just a different situation. It was a different type of rhetoric, um, especially coming out of, you know, the, the politics and calling it Kung flu and the China flu and things like that. Like the whole thing changed. Um, and I think the Black Lives Matter movement did make us kind of see what type of involvement we could have and, you know, make a social movement and speak up for ourselves finally. So we do owe a lot to the black community of, you know, kind of showing us the way. So um, it, it's not an us versus them. And I don't want to, you know, people to think it's like the all lives matter or we're trying to piggyback. It's just, you know, um, we do see how we can speak up for ourselves now. So it's not an us versus them. And we, we appreciate the allyship just as much as we want, we want to be, you know, allies for the black community. Alex, go ahead. I don't mean to jump in again, but it just makes me sit here and think a little bit more about like walking in the shoes of an Asian American. What people have to understand is our upbringings are so much about assimilation. Yeah. So much about putting your head down, working hard, don't say anything, don't create noise, don't create chaos. Oh, they're protesting. Don't you go there. Yeah. Don't go support. You're going to you're going to get in trouble. Don't go follow, yeah. right? It, it it's so much about being as small and as you can so that you don't get picked on. So you don't um so that you can just get recognized for the hard work. So when he, when he mentions the fact of where have you guys been this whole time? Um, and I think Derek, I heard you say this, and I'd love for you to say it versus me, but we barely get a chance to speak up for ourselves, let alone try to speak up for others because we're taught and trained, assimilate, don't speak the language, don't know the heritage, don't do anything that's going to rock the boat because you can bring shame upon the family. You bring all of this, this negativity into the household. I mean, Asians are very, and Pacific Islanders are very much about feng shui, uh, mm -hmm. spirit. Um, you do something, you put it out in the world, it's going to come back to you. Now, granted, I was growing first generation in a household that did still teach me some of the stuff, but man, no, my parents did not talk about their history. He didn't talk about how he swam away from communist China to yeah. give us a better life. The only time I ever hear about that is when he's talking to uh, one of my friends that I bring over that's white and happens to ask, and I, I tell my white Caucasian friend, hey, ask my dad about, about when he swam away from China so I can learn more about it. <laughs> right? right. It's just we erase the history because we came to America, the land of plenty, to get a better life for, for you, the children, the daughters. And so therefore, move forward, look forward. Don't mm -hmm. don't dwell on the past. And if somebody does something, ignore it. Turn your head. Keep going. Yeah. Uh, so I just wanted to kind of continue on some of what Alice said is, you know, I think a lot with our gender, with our, um, you know, with Asians is kind of the concept of not losing face and um, maintaining your reputation um, that we just, I, I feel like my mom just would never even acknowledge something racist happened. And it's just, you know, just move on, just head down, you know, just move on. Don't even talk about it. Don't acknowledge that it happened. Um, and you maintain your own like personal dignity, I feel like. But, 
even like little things, my mom, you know, came here for college um, in the 60s. And then, you know, she she married a white, a white guy. So um, I'm, I'm a product of that, of course. But, um, you know, I think when my my family would call, my mom had to get a, you know a job and she was waiting tables at night. But I wasn't allowed to tell them that she was working. It was like this whole maintaining the the image of you know oh she's in the shower and I couldn't tell them that she was waiting table. Like they, we had to project this image of we're living the American dream, you know. Um, so I think like some of that is just ingrained in the culture where we just don't talk about how things are going bad, you know. We just kind of deal with it and just move on and pretend like it's not happening. So I think that kind of is a reason why we haven't talked about this as well. I would like to to add on to that. It, it's just so heavily ingrained in your upbringing that even your own parents won't side with you. So let's let's say the police arrested me and beat me up. If you're Chinese, and this is a, I'm talking about first generation elder Chinese people, the response they'll give you is good. If you got beat up by the police, you probably did something to deserve it, and I'm going to go help them punish you some more. And so if if I got, like, in trouble at school, my parents would never side with me, didn't want to hear it, just said, whatever you did, you probably deserved it, and tomorrow I'm going to go get them a yardstick specifically to beat you with. And and then my dad, and I'm not even kidding, like, like this is, I'm not exaggerating or embellishing the truth on this one. Uh, the one time I did get in trouble at school, my dad drove there with a yardstick that had my name on it and just said, this is specifically to beat my kid with if he steps out of line. And and this is this is how red China is. Uh, and, and, you know, people fear uh, the, the communist lockdown, the people that, that ran away and fled the cultural revolution. Uh, when when you tell them you had a problem with with racism or bullying at school, they, they the to Alice's point, my parents would quickly turn around and say, you know, I had to swim away from from a communist China and the Cultural Revolution, and that's what a real problem looks like. You've got it good. You yeah. get to eat twice a day. You go to school, and if you step out of line and you got beat up for it, you just brought shame to us. And in order to rectify that, we will shame you and beat you some more. That's that's kind of the way we were raised, and and I don't think that the the the, the first gen parents yeah. realized the the kind of world we were going to grow up in here in in the USA, and in some regard, it it, it just doesn't match, uh, and and so that's that's to me, it, I started to think culturally, maybe it is time. Uh, for for Asian people to evolve a little bit with the times and adjust to where they're at. Um, and, and, and again, to, to your point, um, when there, there were people, um, getting, getting, uh, harassed over the summer, I, I, re- I recall, um, I was having a discussion with, with one of my black friends and I, and I was talking about, uh, you know, how Asian people were finally speaking up and he was just like, where were you the entire time this was happening to my people? And, and, you know, I, I, at first I had to be like, what do you mean? I care. Like, like I'm a person of color too. I care. And, and, and I was like, but you know, I, I thought about it and was like, I guess, you know, I, I don't attend and I, I don't openly always, um, protest or, or, or show up to these places. But then I thought about it and I was like, well, if I wanted to go protest, like my parents would number one would have told me, don't go there. You're going to get in more trouble. You're going to get beat up and it's not your fight. And you just got to mind your own business. And then I, I started to really think, gosh, that's ingrained, not, not only at a, at a parental level, but at a governmental level. And, and I think, 
uh, the, the, the clash in culture, uh, just in terms of, I, 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 you know, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong or, and, and definitely tell me if I'm being insensitive. I, I, I do think that, um, the, the black community prides itself on being a little bit more vocal and, and, and a little bit, uh, a little bit more of the, the champion, uh, to all right. of the colored peoples, and, right. And, and at least that, that's, and that's, how that's I why we have to, that's why we have to talk about culture, right? What is your cultural background? What is your cultural heritage? I was always, uh, assumed that when someone didn't look me in the eye they didn't respect me right from my culture right yeah. but in in the asian culture and and i and i say asian generally and and i'd like to find out where each one of you uh ancestrally are from so we can kind of dissect that because you're not a monolith um each culture is different and each region is different within that culture and we know that from uh our own uh black heritage right it's an interesting point to make though because in the, I think, assimilation of our upbringing, um, I have an American name and a Japanese name. Um, I never used my American name and would appreciate if no one ever used my American name. Um, but yeah, you know, I went to Japan a couple of years ago and realized how not Japanese I felt um, because my mom was raised in Hawaii. It is a different culture than Japanese. Um, I eat spam and I put my I put rice in my miso soup and that was like sacrilege in Tokyo. Um, and so that was an awakening for me. And then the second time was um, at my grandma's funeral, I was asked to give her eulogy and she had a very um, traditional Japanese ceremony with the, um, you know, through her, uh, her temple where she worshiped. And so they for some reason, my family really wanted a eulogy on top of this Japanese ceremony because the Japanese ceremony is in Japanese, which nobody could understand unless you spoke Japanese. And um, that was another time where I had to get schools on, you know, the um, practices in the temple and how to approach the altar um, because I'd only done that a couple of times. Um, but that was another time where I felt like I had some work to do and it was something I really wanted to know how to do. So uh, I appreciate you guys opening up and sharing. So there's a there's another area that I think we should talk about or broach this subject, and and that's about how our our communities, the the black community and the Asian community, aren't always on the same page. We we haven't always seen eye to eye. We've 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 come at this from a completely different perspective, and I, I think Jeff, you kind of hint, hinted towards it, and Derek, um, you you too, where you you said. Um, at least from a, a, a black perspective, we're, we're vocal and we're trying to let everybody know what's happening. And also our lifestyle is a little bit different. Plus, we come from a different angle. And then from an Asian perspective, it's a completely different way of looking at life than what we do. And so um, I, I, I think I guess the, the easiest way to say it or not the easiest, the straightforward way to say it is um, in especially in, in California. I've seen it in California. Uh, with Koreans and 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 blacks in on on the um, in the poorer neighborhoods, but almost anywhere. Um, but I can also say I've seen positive too. But there's just a, a definite uh, negative vibe um, where we don't like you, you don't like us. And some of this, and we even saw it in in the video in New York where that that the black guy hits the Asian lady. I it's just. I mean, that's just terrorism to me. It doesn't matter what color you are. That's horrible. But but the the one thing that exists is that. So how do we show that, uh, forget all that, 
how do how do we how do we cross these these barriers? What do you guys think? And this is open to to Triple ALC as well as 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 you guys from Idea and Asian Network. This is just open forum now. Let, let's kind of get that out there. Let's talk about that. Let me start this one with a little bit of a a positive uh, uh, outlook. So after the shootings happened, I'm I'm partners. Uh, and I worked on uh, Usman's uh, e-com accelerator team with Tony Colvin, uh, who is African-American. And I, I wasn't thinking, you know, I saw the news and I just said, geez, you know, and I'm taking it in. I get a DM from him and, and he's asking, you know, how are you? And, and I, I said, oh, I'm good, Tony. What's going on? And he said, I, you know, I read the news and I, I want you to know. Uh, I understand all too well, you know, from from the summer, especially with uh, the the BLM movement, uh, the things that happened with Floyd, uh, that that I just wanted to take the time to express to you that that I'm here and and I understand and I care and if you want to talk, I, I'm here to support you because I I can feel and relate to what you're going through and I, you know, I, I have never never experienced that kind of kindness and, and, and empathy, um, from, from any other person of color. So it, it's, it's when I thought about that, you know, I, I thought about, well, you know what, the, the one thing, uh, out of, out of witnessing this tragedy and, and feeling, I, I think at, at, a, at a 43 years of age, a little bit more of the reality of, of what the black and or African American community has felt like, like I actually identified with the fear uh, in, in a different way. And, and I felt comforted in a different way. And I guess it, it it's, it's the empathy and, and, and the kindness and, and, and just the thoughtfulness, uh, from my African-American coworker is, is what caused, I, I think where, where there was a rift, I, I, I think hearts draw a little bit closer, even though, uh, it was it was over something tragic. I, I just felt like that that empathy opened a dialogue that that literally it, it changed something inside of my heart. Like like I, I just felt my heart draw closer. And I, I look at that example and I think about all of the times you know I could have or probably should have spoke up. You know, and, and then it just caused me to think back through all of these things where I yeah of course I, I posted my my BLM support on Facebook, which is the equivalent of me putting up a, a, an image, right? And then there's, and 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 I just I didn't think to to contact, you know, my black friends and say, hey, you know, how are you doing with all of this? Just these little things that 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 start to give you a, uh, I don't know if it's, if it's reaching out or it's, it's empathizing with, or it's expressing a, a concern, but, but, uh, I, I guess instead of saying that, where have you been all this time thing? It, it was, it was that I was approached by someone that said, Hey, you know, I understand we've been here a long time. Uh, you know, we've been going through this a while. If you need help, if you're trying to navigate this, come to me and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here with open arms. And I thought, geez, if you want to talk about something that, that changes divides, that, that brings people closer together, I looked at that example and said, geez, you know, what, what a learning moment that was for me. What, what a, a moment of receiving kindness and empathy that was. And, you know, when I talk about how I felt tra traumatized by, by the incident I experienced on the inside chemically, you know, something changed inside of me. Likewise, uh, when Tony came to me and said this, I, I felt something changed inside of me. And, and I, I just have to say it's, it's, um, in reaching out, 
in 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 that way um it it was definitely something that that made me pause and think about you know was i ever this good as a person of color was i ever this thoughtful uh did i ever check on other people that were in pain and i i guess the the point is kindness and empathy inspire that kind of thinking versus polarizing you against a well, what do you mean? I wasn't there, you know, and, and, and that's mm-hmm. that's kind of the the, uh, the the piece that I learned, and, and I learned that from um, from one of my black friends who who had who had gone through a lot of this for a long time, and and so I, I just will put out there um, to me that was uh, incredibly effective, more effective than anything else that that, that uh, I, I've personally experienced uh, on the matter in terms of speaking uh, to to people of color who are a different ethnicity. Hey, Derek, quick question for you. Mm-hmm. So you and, what was his name, Tony? Tony Colvin. Mm-hmm. You guys were friends for a while, or coworkers? Mm-hmm, yep. Okay, so I think in my opinion, I think that doesn't happen if you guys don't have a relationship before that. Because I think that, that personal connection mm-hmm. aids in being empathetic, I guess. Mm-hmm. If, if, you're, if, if that's the way that someone thinks about that stuff because I'll say in my experience I've had people that I thought I had a personal connection with mm-hmm. when everything that happened in 2020 they said nothing or they just gave me like the blanket statement I'm here for you if you ever want to talk no. and for me I'm just like I thought we had a better relationship that you would kind of what Tony did just ask how are you feeling mm-hmm. and just just start the conversation that way because I felt like I said, even a lot of times with people in the in that work with me, they just it felt like the corporate blanket statement to say, mm-hmm. I'm here whenever you want to talk. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that doesn't feel genuine to me. That doesn't feel like a real empathetic um, mm-hmm. phrasing of however you say that. It just feels like that's something that you feel like you should say right you now. Need to say. Mm-hmm. And, and you're not really you don't really mean anything behind it. So that's why I asked that question if you guys had a relationship before, because that mm-hmm. is, I think that's that's so key in uh, bridging race relations to like mm-hmm. know someone in another, because when you know someone that is in a different race and you mm-hmm. see something happening to that race, you're like, mm-hmm. is this happening to my friend? How is my friend dealing with this? And then you have empathy with it. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, definitely. And I'd like to add this, too. Even if I did have a pre-existing friendship with him that prompted him to say that, Mm -hmm. it was his saying it in the first place that got me thinking about changes I want to. I mean, and and, and that's the thing is, is I thought about how many times, you know, during BLM did, did I call up all of my black friends and say, hey, and and the answer I'm I'm very ashamed of is is not often, yeah. you know, not, yeah. and 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 not and and that's that's where, you know, it it, it not only did I feel a, a huge amount of appreciation and 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 um, just humility, you know, that 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 this is what was being said. I I felt a degree of of, of shame for for thinking about it and saying, you know, I never never empathized in 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 the way i am now and and it's unfortunate that so much had to happen Mm -hmm. before i really understood that well i think it goes back to what you guys talked about with culture and just being taught to assimilate like that's not your problem don't talk about it because in my brain it makes sense like 
there's a problem going on out there. Mm-hmm. We got our own problems in our community. If I talk about that problem, that's more problems that's coming towards me. So I get the assimilation side of it. Mm-hmm. And I had a question that as you guys were talking. Um, For real, let me say, oh, it's, yeah, even, go ahead. if I draw to that other stuff, does that mm-hmm. diminish the amount of focus that there is on my site and my issue if I try mm-hmm. to focus energy on someone else's, right? right. And I, so I think it's a little bit of both uh, as far as I'm bringing more in and mm-hmm. I'm getting less focus on. Right, right. And, and Alice also, right? That's a new space, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> you know I, I can operate in my own little backyard, but if I go over there, you know, you know, what right. am I going to do? You know, I'm, you know, and so I, I, I think that uh, just the BLM matter and people coming together, I mean, it's a civil rights, you know, blacks have a history of that, but I think we've gotten better at reaching out, mm-hmm. right? And I think, believe it or not, maybe COVID is also a benefit, right? That whole, not in, I'm only in my backyard. And when you have a job and you had to go to your job and you had all that other stuff, you know, we, 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 were, all, we were all cocooned, right? Mm-hmm. And so maybe a higher sense of awareness was developed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And there's this this balance, right? Like you don't want to take away from the identity of what Black Lives Matter means and is. And then you've got this Asian, you know, racist stop Asian hate. And it's like it's like all races, right? You still want to hold on to your identity because you don't want someone to say, I don't see color. Because if you don't see color, you don't see me. You don't see what I'm facing <laughs> right. and what I am, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know you have all good intents in saying that, but at the same time, I don't want racism at all. Where yeah. color matters, right? So, yeah. where is that fine balance of like keeping your identity at the same time as supporting each other, but not making it a hodgepodge that now we're just supporting DNI, right? Or we're yeah. supporting just everything. Well, there's another piece to that too and and I, we can't discount that um they use and when i say the they i'm talking about the terrorists those who don't like uh different they use the model minority and they and, and yes. given that to you to say hey those aren't your friends we're your friends yeah. mm-hmm. and and then that's that's and we've seen that it's, and we said oh <laughs> you're going to treat you're going to treat us like like they treat like they treat us huh and so that's part of that friction mm-hmm. as well, right? Mm-hmm. So there's been a conquer or a divide and conquer uh, thing that we have to recognize uh, in this society, and we can't let that happen. Um, yeah. And that's why we have this platform. That's why we came together today to have this discussion and open discussion and realize um, it's it's not us against them and us against them and them against us. It's us against uh tyranny right it's us against, it's racism. Us against hate mm-hmm. us against hate right doesn't matter if it's racism either right because it, it could be um uh yeah you could be anti uh um uh, lbgt yeah exactly you could don't, be anti all of it right don't miss a letter Elmer. yeah i know I <laughs> but still whatever yeah right and and one of the visions i had in my head was um a picture of the flag because I felt like um, after the Confederate flag was put down as a uh, misnomer or uh, a sign of hate, uh, immediately they grabbed the American flag. Now I'm not saying Americans or Black Americans did not respect the flag because some people will say we did, but we don't. We love the flag, but 
but we don't have the same level of of honor to the flag because we know what it's done to us mm-hmm. but they grabbed that flag that tyranny uh those terrorists grabbed that flag and said this is our flag and this is an opportunity for us to take that flag back have all of our different rainbow colored hands on that staff of that flag and raise it together and say we are americans this is our flag this is our country and 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 push back the hate um I just wanted to throw that in there, but um, Mickey, I, I know you were kind of, oh, Jeff, do you want to go? Yeah. yeah, no, I just wanted to just go back to what you talked about, that model minority myth. And I mean, just acknowledging that it really was used systemically to drive a wedge between the groups. You know, they didn't want us working together, or not they, but, um, you know, it, it wasn't like a badge of honor saying you, you're the best minority. It was, you know, saying, hey, look at, to the others, to the Latinx and African-American community, Native Americans, why can't you be like them? They're not asking for any handouts. They're going to college. They're getting good jobs. Why can't you be like them? Which is, of course, it's a myth. There's plenty of poor Asian people. There's plenty of uneducated Asian people. But you're look, you're taking these examples of people and saying, why can't you be like them? Why do you have to, you know? So, and there's a lot of systemic issues of, of redlining where, you know, Asians and African Americans couldn't purchase property or couldn't get jobs in certain areas. So we're all essentially fighting over, you know, the south side of Chicago and things like that. And, you know, when you're forced into these areas that don't have the economic opportunities, I mean, that's a recipe for disaster, you know. So I think there's just a lot of background there that people don't necessarily realize um, that it's not just as simple as, you know, they don't like each other, you know. Yeah. Um, and, oh, go ahead. No, you got it, Mickey. Thank you. Um, I'm going to take the conversation left for a second, sort of just reflecting on some of the conversation that just happened. Um, I think a watch out is continuing to perpetuate that that all racism is hate filled, um, and that's kind of a nod towards what I was saying earlier, which is I'm experiencing willful ignorance, which is just as damaging and cruel to me as other forms of racism and it's like to me the question is how do we combat that because that is what becomes systemic in my mind and that that's very insidious because when you don't even realize oh i'm not i'm not you know beating and battering old asian women i'm not pulling men and women and children off of cafe stools and dragging them out to the street i think that there has to be some sort of like we have to bridge that gap to really truly understand the way that racism is manifesting itself today and it's these very insidious ways and to me it's like how does this team address that yeah exactly good job i I Uh, think i think the part of the definition of racism and hate of race and stuff like that which i don't really bother me but i think power you know it's it's another wants to have dominance by means of violence by means of culture by whatever over over others and not respect the differences, right? Um, you know, this neighborhood is good because these people live in it. And therefore, you have to have a certain income. All of that stuff right there becomes like an insidious form or an undercut of, of the racist culture, right? Um, you know, I always had a definition about racism when it came to me growing up. I have West Indian dad and American mom. And, you know, he came over and he had he had his issues as, you know, being a West Indian, hardworking, educated, that same persona that your people, that, that, that your people, while wow, I'm getting there, uh, <laughs> that, that the Asians had, right? 
yes, that's a referral to HR. Um, but you know, it, it 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 moves from group to group. The 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 pitting us against each other, but it's really to me a power structure, you know. And um and and and, and that's a battle I think as part of the racist comp, um, e equation that we that we have to factor in. I think we have to deal with that. Are you saying classism? It could be, but it, you know, you know, it's the same thing with sexism. The battle over gender for women and why are they underpaid? And you know, look at COVID and the number of women who had to leave the workforce because mom needs to go home and take care of the kids. You know, all of those isms, you know, are about a cultural, a power type of a paradigm that you know I think we're we're forced now to reckon with. What is equity, nice. right? So kind of back to what Mickey was trying to get us to, how do we how do we fix it? Right. I almost wanted to throw a, a Star Wars reference. Right. So the Sith is taking over. So how do we how do we fix that? So um, what do you guys think? What's what's the next steps? How do we how do we mend those bridges? How do we how do we build new bridges? And maybe not so much mend the bridges. Let's just tear down the old ones and just start building new ones. Right. Infrastructure. Well, I mean, I think first and foremost, like language matters. Mm -hmm. It matters. And I really, really appreciate Remar um, talking earlier about his heritage and how he's not African and not American. That's like, <laughs> like, thank you so much for educating me because in this pursuit, you know, I'm not always going to get it right, um, but I'm going to try. So I yeah. think that number one, being able to have that conversation and do it in this way is so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think... Um, Mickey, what you were saying earlier about, you know, racism is not always hate-filled and it's not always overt racism. There's like the microaggressions. Um, and I think it's, it, takes, it takes a while to notice that stuff is racism, like, like the microaggressions. And I think just fixing it is one, educating people, but it's also those people have to want to be educated and want to listen because... For us, for me to try to tell someone who has no experience with anyone that's black or anyone that's from the Caribbean, that this is how I do things, this is part of my culture, for me to say all that stuff, but they don't listen or don't acknowledge it, it's falling on deaf ears. So I can try as much as I want, but if that person's not receptive to learning about another culture, there's only so much I can do. So I, I think there's like a twofold of it where you, you educate people. You have to be willing to have these conversations among friends, among strangers. If you're going out somewhere and you're eating and you see someone of a different, different ethnic group, ask if you can sit and talk with them six feet apart because we're in COVID, you know, and just, you know, ask about their culture, their ethnic group, just respectfully and try to understand where they're coming from that's what that's something that i try to do as much as i can because i love learning about new cultures and love learning about people and just figuring out like oh you're from here why why do you do this this way what is the cultural reference line that um and i think <clears throat> my wife and i love to do this because she she's a behavioral therapist she works with kids with autism and uh down syndrome stuff like that and one of the families that she works with is east indian and she just loves learning about their specific culture, their specific religion and understanding about their background because it helps her to actually know them. So 
I don't know if points, that makes sense. <laughs> no, good points, Remark. Um, real quick, let's go to Paul and then and then Suzanne on that. Yeah, so it, it was interesting. This goes back a little bit to what Derek was saying as well as um, Rima, which was, you know, when you when you were talking about you didn't reach out to to your friends enough, or you know, when uh, when when uh, the George Floyd incident happened, and coming from my my viewpoint. I, I was the same way. I didn't reach out enough either. And for me, though, it was more of a guilt because it was my race that caused this. And so it was very difficult. I know, but it was very difficult for me to reach out without being like, well, am I going to be lumped in with that crowd at the same time? So so it was quite difficult for me. Now, having formed these relationships, and this is where it comes on to, yet again to the relationship side of things, of course, I would reach out to every one of you now because I know you and I have those relationships and I would genuinely want to know if you are okay. Um, and that's where it really comes down to. And Elma, you know, it's gonna come back to you every single time, which is don't get up in the grill until you know who they are and you get to know them. <laughs> right. And um, so for me now, I think what we need to do is just to be able to educate people, especially from from a Caucasian race of saying you've got to make those relationships and you you can't feel guilt because of what somebody else has done. You have to reach out to your friends and you have to make sure that they're doing OK. Suzanne. I want to just uh, echo what Remar said and several of you have um, said too as well. I, I really loved what Mickey um, said too. And drawing on my culture, and I think Remar has a similar culture too, but in Jamaica, our national motto is out of many one people because we have many races within Jamaica. But if you were to ask a Chinese, they would say, I'm Jamaican. My great grandmother was a Jew um, and we were really close. And so I'm thinking, I've, and I think about this a lot. How can we, as Alice has said, how and several of you have asked, how can we bridge this? How can we bring everybody together? And to me, thinking of where I was raised, how I was brought up our culture, where we have several cultures within a family like mine. And um, one, I think it's very important, education. Educate, educate, educate. And as Remar says, yeah, we can educate, but if the person doesn't want to, that's there's nothing you can do. You're falling on deaf ears. But I think education is the key. And for everyone to personally make that commitment to say, this is what I'm going to do. As he said, as Remar said, go up to somebody and say, tell me about your culture. Tell me about what does your name stand for? Where does it come from? Um, just be open and honest because when you present yourself that way, the other person can feel it, you know, and just say, I want to learn more. I don't know very much about your culture. Just start by doing that. Start, start by committing, saying that I will do this or I want to do this. And when everybody does that, the ripple effect. So education and everybody committing, those who want to, <laughs> like Rima says, not everybody wants to, but when we start doing that, especially from a company standpoint, it will, the ripple effect will, will take effect and it will just cascade out. That's my thoughts well, on that. Very I well think to, to add on to Suzanne, 
for us on the other side of it being also okay to be corrected on the stuff that we're not that we we have been ignorant about yeah. like if you say something that's offensive to someone's race or heritage and they're like oh don't say that anymore you're like okay my bad i that, that's what i was taught but it's not right anymore and just be, be okay to be corrected and move on yeah and 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 correct our family members like i corrected my mom the other day i called her out so that's just what you got to do and, yeah, and i mentioned on a story. previous call <laughs> no <laughs> i don't want her to get canceled it's my mom but we'll keep that in house and that's what we need to do right we need to we need to keep our little our dirt inside and just make sure we sweep it clean it up and put it in the garbage and throw it away and and leave it at that right um and and not hold it over our 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 friends our families uh acquaintances heads that okay you were a certain way well yeah maybe that happened 10 days ago but now i see things differently right i would just say really quickly i love the piece of don't make someone feel bad about having said something because they were just not educated mm -hmm. it's it's like kids right they are so um honest and <laughs> they are so pure and they get to say because we know they just don't know yet, right? And so now. they point at the waitress and goes, uh, mommy, why is her hair short? And she asks the waitress, why is your hair short, waitress? And then she goes, because I enjoy and like the way it looks. And I do happen to be a lesbian, right? And, and that's okay. <laughs> and right. the kid just goes, oh, okay. Can I have a pancake now? Right, like, it's, it's, it's so pure and innocent, and I think we forget that we all learned at a different pace on this journey, yeah. and so we don't know everything still, and it's okay to ask the vulnerable questions. Why, what, how does that work when you do weave? How, how, tell me why you have to, you know, why do you carry lotion all the time? Like, what, what's, educate me, and one, the other person has to not be offended, and to, that's where it starts. Everything starts with education, awareness, acknowledgement of all of our differences and that we had different experiences that shape who we are today and therefore how we look at life and how we look at the world and how we look at each other differently. And therefore, we're, always, we're not always going to agree with each other. We all have different vantage points, but that's the beauty of a diverse world. And mm -hmm. so when, when I talk, a lot of people always ask, what can I do? And I just say, just start a conversation and listen. It takes, it's simple. All you have to do is say, tell me about you or how are you feeling? Hey, I heard something happen. I don't get it. Can you, can you tell me more about it? Would you be open? Right. Those simple, simple questions go a long way for people just saying, wow, like I can actually be heard. I'm seen. A lot of times you hear Asians say, I just am, I'm invisible, right? Or I feel yeah. invisible, but that's because I've been trained to be invisible too at the same time. So yeah. um, allies, what I would tell you from an Asian Network perspective, especially during these hard times right now is just reach out. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Um, what can I do for you? You know, uh, th those go, go a long way. Silence is a lot more definite and, and it's a lot worse than saying saying something or just be vulnerable and be afraid. Don't be afraid that you might say something wrong because you won't if you, you talk to the right person. Yeah, I can answer hey, that Sharon, motion Well, question. hold on, hold on. No, no, no. Sharon, 
can you ask that question? Well, my question to the group is, and all great dialogue, and I'm learning a lot. That's why I've been very quiet because I figured this was my opportunity to really listen. And uh, I'm really appreciative of the uh, the candid dialogue, really appreciative. And so as I was uh, meditating on some of the things that you guys have said, one of the things that have been a thought in my head over these last few weeks is what group is next? And do we... Um, just like with Black Lives Matter, uh, when some of the attention wears down or time goes by, do you wonder if this is going to go away? Do you wonder if there won't be as much focus and then what are you left with? So those are my concerns because, of course, we've seen it in the Black community year after year after year after year after year after, year after some major event occurs. And so it becomes very uh, disheartening when the focus is now diminished and now the news has moved on to the next thing of the hour. So how do you guys feel about that? Yeah, unfortunately, um, I think fatigue is an unfortunate, um, an unfortunate consequence of these times with everything. Um, the fatigue, it's just straight up fatigue. And um, I think you know, I can't speak for everyone else, but my commitment is to keep the conversation going, um, which I am committed to doing. It's a part of my performance goals and my team's performance goals. And it's something I bring to my Sunday dinner table now, my family. Um, so I feel wildly committed to the conversation. I just really believe that you can change the world one conversation at a time. So that's the role I plan to play here, um, despite what's happening in the news and the world around us. Jeremy, do it. Oh, I was going to say, uh, going back to uh, when when we were asking, you know, how, how do we make it better? I think when when the the topic of educating, and and that's that's I think everyone always says we we have to be willing to educate, and I got to say, as as an individual, when we say that, we have to really think about what our intention is. Is our intention really to educate, or is it just to be right? And and I'll, I'll I'll go back to when 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 things were really heating up with with BLM, a lot of my friends on the left wanted to tell other people who who supported the GOP that that your your supporting of the GOP makes you automatically racist and like no matter what you say, if if you're on the right, you're a racist and 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 that makes you kind of like a like a horrible person and and you don't know this and like you know you're basically a hateful. Well, I'm going to ask you this question. Was was your goal coming from the left and saying that to the right? Was the intention in your heart to really educate a person, or was it to be right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes people look at, at at standing on a soapbox and and taking the right stance on it, not, not as a as a point of education, although they use the word and they use it as a a point of being condescending and and, and to talk down to somebody who's not educated. Well, I'm going to tell you, if you tell somebody who's an alcoholic to quit drinking, what's the very first response the alcoholic's going to have? They're going to go run to a drink. So if, if your intention is to really educate, invest in reaching that person, you know, and, and that's got to be in your heart. If your point is just to tell them they're wrong and they're a piece of crap for being wrong, um, you, you're not helping the situation. You're driving that rift deeper and you're creating what I call polarity. And the minute you polarize somebody by taking that stance, 
That's the moment they quit listening to you. So mm-hmm. when we educate, I want to stress, have the intention of really meaning to do that over the intention of being right. Right, Derek. And I, I think that's a great point. And I kind of felt like ever since the beginning of our whole diversity campaign in, in Albertsons and just in general, um, I felt like that was something that I didn't want us or myself to be involved with is just pointing fingers and saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, and we're right, you're, we're right, we're right. How do we engage uh, a, the large group of people uh, that are white, that are not racist, that honestly are on the fence because they hear one sense of one, one side of the case, one, one set of rhetoric, and then they hear this other set of rhetoric and it pushes them over to the other side, right? Um, how do we in in our diversity, uh, equity and inclusion, how do we manage that? How do we continue to bring people in, not just with education, but I think with, with love and with friendship, with open hands and open hearts and saying, we're not here to uh, cancel you or create cancel culture, we're we're here to say, hey, why don't you tell me your story and let me listen to you? You know, how do we invite them in? Um, I and, and this is not the best story, but or example, but I think of what happened in World War II um, between the Germans and, and Japan. Uh, previously in World War One, what did we do? We 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 as in the uh, United uh, Nations stopped Germany in their tracks, took a while, but they did it, but they completely destroyed their economy. And what happened? They came back. They came back stronger and more angry. But the second time, we went back in with a different type of plan. And now if you look at Germany, even uh, West Germany prior to the 80s, they were a model of the West to a degree. And you could say the same thing for Japan. We sent over, after the war, we sent over our best engineers, our best technology. We helped rebuild. I'm not saying it's perfect. Please, please don't get, uh, there's there's a seed in there that needs to be planted and let it grow. Um, so that's what I'm kind of uh, saying. Uh, we, we can't look at the, to the other side, whether you think you're right or wrong. We need to step up our game and, and invite people in. So I'm just kind of piggybacking off of you. That's a great point, uh, E.T. and Derek. And I think a lot of times people think that you have to be right. And it's about, it's not about being right. It's about celebrating other people's differences and still being like cordial and respectful. Because I often like in those scenarios, all those people that sign it kind of have that same mentality. They're literally all the same and they have no friends or acquaintances that are different, look different, think different. And it's about being in a community with like other people that have different thought processes, look different, are different, but being respectful and celebrating other people's differences without being hateful or trying to tear down their culture, their mm-hmm. their politics, their whatever it is. Like differences are made to be celebrated as long as we're all respectful in everyone's differences. Right. And, and just looking at the final four and looking at sports in general, how can we as as whether you're an NBA enthusiast or college basketball or football, how can we be NFL people? And I'm a Seahawks fan and I can still sit down next to a 49er fan and get along, even though they'll tear down my team left and right. Right. How can we do that in that context 
with different races, mind you, uh, a black guy like myself talking to a guy from from Texas that's a Houston or excuse me, a Dallas Cowboy fan who I hate. But yet we get along. Right. Even though I don't like the Cowboys, we still respect you respect that person's position. Right. Hey, well, I was going to say one quick thing on. Sorry, I know we're going to end here, but I was going to say one oh, quick no, thing. Sharon's uh, comment about do we think this will diminish over time? I think inevitably it ebbs and flows based on whatever's happening in the world and the world climate on what gets the focus. And I know we're donating money, right, um, to AAPI Stop Hate. Uh, and so that will give more resources and funding to organizations that can continue to help shed light on the systemic racism that has occurred with the Asian population or community and Pacific Islander community. But I know that there is this generation and there are a lot of elderly uh, when it comes to the Asian community that do want it just to disappear. Mm. Like uh, they want it to diminish so they can, again, reassimilate, blend back in. It's not about us. The spotlight's not on us. Let it be on the black people. Don't let it be on us so we can just put our head down and continue to move along. Go on the bark trains, go on the bus station trains, not be targeted, maybe a couple words here and there, but not be physically attacked. Let them be physically attacked, right? And so that's the piece that we have to continue when Mickey, Derek, Jeff, uh, even yourself, Omar, say, hey, how do you continue to educate your parents? How do you keep educating your grandparents? But it's hard. I mean, they've had years of these experiences, and this is how they knew the world to be. But is it right? No. So how do you continue to have those honest conversations, especially in a, a culture like the Asian community that is supposed to be so respectful of your elders that you don't talk back to them? You don't correct them. You don't tell them they're wrong for saying anything that's bad or has any microaggression in it because they, they know better and they sacrificed everything to provide you the life that you have here today. So therefore, honor that and respect what we have to think. So it's going to take a new generation and the new generation of the youth to say, I want to go lock arms with my brothers and sisters of my other races with each other to go make a change, make a difference, educate my young, educate my children to, to be open to have these courageous conversations and dialogue. So I, I do think it'll ebb and flow. I think it's, our job to have these and continue to have these conversations and especially in Albertson, such a big company that can really make a stand for something. We have to overtly take a stance and, and shout at the rooftops and let people know that this is a great environment and we want to build and foster communities that have no place for racism, hatred, discrimination in any form or fashion. So I, I wanted to hit on Sharon's comment directly because it's a hard one because I, I'll be I'll be lying if I don't guiltily sometimes think I wish it would just disappear and then maybe I, I'm not as fearful and not targeted. But until it quiets down, you, you, you still think you, you could be the one to be attacked, right? Or your family could be. So it's kind of like thinking about COVID. Can't COVID just go away, right? Um, and then once it goes away, things will go back to normal, right? Like we would all lie if we didn't hope that happened, right? But as as we write in books like right fragility it's part of the systemic structure and in the weaved into the fabric of how we how we are how how the world is so it's going to take time to go change that 
and I think our gener- our our next generation, I, I kind of mentioned on a, one of our other calls, is light years ahead of us. Everybody on this call, um, my daughter, my beautiful daughter Amira, corrects me all the time, and she makes sure that I am aligned uh, with my old-fashioned ways, my my latchkey kid mentality. Um, she calls me out all the time, so I, I think the next generation is better than us, um, and I'm I'm looking forward to that. Um, okay, well, thank you, everybody. Um, if anybody has any questions, you can reach all of us at our respective uh, email boxes and albertsons.com. So we have, what is what is your your uh, email box to reach you guys at Alice for the Asian Network? We're actually creating an Asian network mailbox right now as we speak. Right now you can join and uh, log on to our SharePoint that Paul has so uh, beautifully created and sign up for any ARG. Please do not, I've got to put in a plug every single time. There are resources out there beyond just the external ones and we do have a whole flyer of them up on the page, but we also have every single ARG. You do not have to be of that race that lifestyle, that background, any of that to be in any of the networks. You can be an ally and we actually need more allies than we need to just talk to each other about our own problems. So uh, go on, sign up and then always alice.chan at albertsons.com of course, but clearly we definitely want you to get involved, get engaged and just thank you for listening to the podcast today and thank you for having us with you. Oh, you're welcome. Mickey. Jeff, how about you guys? How do we reach Idea Council? Jeff, do we have a mailbox? <laughs> we do have yeah, a mailbox. Edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, edit that out. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's, I, I was over. How do we? <laughs> yeah, it's it's I it's uh, the the uh, the mailbox is Idea Council at Albertsons.com. Okay, now make you say it. <laughs> you know what's so embarrassing is I just looked at my email and I see it. <laughs> we have <a> mailbox. <laughs> yep. Yep. And then you could also reach us at um, Albertson's African American Leadership Council. <laughs> I had to think about it. I had all these mailboxes going in my head. Uh, Andre, Sharon, Adam, Suzanne, Remar, anything to close out with? Paul? I would just like to say this was a phenomenal conversation. I had a lot of fun and it was nice to meet you guys, Mickey and Alice for the first time. Nice to see you, Jeff, and nice to see you again, Derek. And I, I'm excited to continue these conversations. Let's go make a change together. Let's make it Same happen. here, same Let's here. Let's do it. Thank you all for sharing. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for having us.